Chapter Three, Part Two of Bacteria in Daily Life by Grace Coleridge Franklin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sunshine and Life, Part Two. The remarkable discoveries on the modification of the disease-producing properties of certain bacteria by sunshine may perhaps encourage the idea that we are making some progress toward the attainment of this desirable millennium. That diminution of the virulence or disease-producing power of such deadly microbes as those of cholera, anthrax, and tuberculosis can be brought about through simple exposure to the sun's rays seems almost inconceivable. Yet it has been discovered that by placing the cholera bacillus, for example, in the sunshine, its virulent character undergoes such a profound modification that it is actually reduced to the condition of a vaccine, and may be employed to protect animals from infection with its still virulent brethren. Yet this is what has been undoubtedly shown by Dr. Palermo in very carefully conducted investigations. He was, moreover, able to indicate, within a very narrow margin, the precise amount of insulation necessary to bring about this result. For if the cholera cultures were only exposed for three hours, their toxic properties were not reduced to the condition of vaccine. But if the insulation was continued for three and a half hours, up to four and a half hours, they became endowed with the requisite immunizing properties and animals treated first with the so-called sunshine cholera vaccine were able subsequently to withstand otherwise fatal doses of virulent cholera cultures. Dr. Palermo also found that, besides producing this subtle modification in the character of cholera bacilli, sunshine exerted a remarkable physiological change in these organisms, for when examined under the microscope, they no longer exhibited their typical activity, having been deprived of all powers of movement, whilst those kept during the same length of time in the dark had not abated one jot of their customary mobility. But sunshine not only controls in this wonderful manner the action of the living bacillus, but it also operates upon the products elaborated by disease organisms. Thus the microbe-producing lockjaw or tetanus may be grown in broth, and the latter may be subsequently passed through a porcelain or Birkfeld filter, so that the resulting liquid is entirely deprived of all germ life. This tetanus filtrate, as it is called, is endowed with very powerful toxic properties, and it will retain its lethal action even when kept for upwards of 300 days, providing it is screened from all light. But place such filtrates in diffused light, and they lose their poisonous properties, requiring, however, upwards of 10 weeks to become entirely harmless. If, on the other hand, they be exposed to sunshine, they are completely deprived of their toxic character in from 15 to 18 hours. Again, as little as five hours of sunshine is sufficient to greatly modify the toxic action of diphtheria cultures. It is of interest also to note that even the venom of the rattlesnake, that most potent of all poisons, cannot emerge unscathed from an exposure to sunshine maintained during a fortnight. Interesting as all these isolated observations are, they indicate what an immense amount yet remains to be done before we can hope to have any connected conception of the mechanism, so to speak, of insulation. At present there is too large an allowance which we are compelled to make for the unknown to permit of our adequately manipulating this marvellous agency in relation to bacteriological problems. But who shall say what part has been, and is still being played by sunshine, in determining the individual character of microbes, operating as it has done from time immemorial upon countless generations of these minute germs of life. The problem of insulation has been attacked from an entirely novel point of view by Dr. Masella, 
who has endeavoured to find out whether sunshine plays any part in the predisposition of animal life to infection. Now sunshine has long been credited with possessing therapeutic powers, and indeed, traditions of cures affected by the ancients by means of insulation have been treasured up and handed down to the present day. Even as late as the beginning of the present century, we may read of a French physician seriously recording his claim to have cured a dropsical patient within two weeks by placing him daily for several hours in the sunshine, and many medical journals of recent years contain communications on the beneficial results derived from the use of sunshine in the treatment of various diseases. It seems curious, therefore, that whilst so much has been done to test the action of light on disease microbes in artificial surroundings, such as are to be found in laboratory experiments, hardly any investigations have been made to try and define more precisely how sunshine may affect their pathogenic action within the animal system. Dr. Masella's researches, undertaken with the express object of, if possible, elucidating this question, are therefore of special interest and importance. The first series of experiments was carried out to ascertain whether exposure to sunshine increases or reduces an animal's susceptibility to particular diseases, those selected for investigation being typhoid fever and cholera. For this purpose, guinea pigs were exposed to the full rays of the sun during a period of from nine to fifteen hours for two days, whilst other guinea pigs, for the sake of comparison, were not permitted to have more light than that obtainable in a stable where only diffused light was admitted. Both these sets of animals were subsequently infected with virulent cultures of cholera and typhoid germs, respectively, and were in neither case exposed to sunshine. The results which Dr. Masella obtained were remarkable, for he found that those animals which previous to infection had been placed in the sunshine died more rapidly than those which had been kept in the stable, and that the exposure to the sun's rays had so increased their susceptibility to these diseases that they succumbed to smaller doses, and doses, moreover, that did not prove fatal to the other guinea pigs. Still more striking was the part played by insulation in the course of these diseases in animals exposed to sunshine after inoculation, for instead of dying in from fifteen to twenty-four hours, they succumbed in from three to five hours. Here, then, we find sunshine, in some mysterious manner not yet understood, far from benefiting the animal and assisting it in combating these diseases, actually contributing to the lethal action of these bacteria. It has been asserted on the authority of some medical men that in cases of smallpox, recovery is rendered more easy and rapid when light is excluded from the patient's room. Whether Dr. Masella's experiments will permit of any such interpretation being placed upon them remains to be seen. They are, at any rate, extremely suggestive. That it is possible for temperature to have some determining influence upon the course of certain diseases has been shown by O. Vogus, who, experimenting with a minute bacillus which he isolated from tumors characteristic of a cattle disease very prevalent in South America, found that although this bacillus was the undoubted fond et origeau of the disease, he could not produce fatal results in animals if he kept them in cold surroundings. Only when the temperature was raised to from 35 to 45 degrees centigrade did the infected animal succumb. The dependence of the activity and virulence of this microorganism upon temperature is also borne out in actual experience, the disease being the more prevalent and the more fatal the hotter the climate of the country. It may be mentioned in passing that this bacillus has the distinction of being the smallest yet discovered. The influenza bacillus hitherto held the palm in this respect, but it must yield its position to its more successful rival, for Vogus states that when magnified about 1,500 times, it is only just discernible in the microscopic field. 
Even the smoke-laden atmosphere of our great cities, our leaden skies and dreary fogs and mists, may after all then, if we can only learn to look at them from Dr. Masella's point of view, become a source of benefit and a subject for congratulation. Yet our inherent love of light and sunshine would cause us willingly to hand over our murky climate had we but the chance of obtaining in exchange that of any of the sunny cities of the South. Moreover, in the case of tubercular disease, experience is daily impressing upon us the wisdom, and indeed necessity, of absorbing as much sunshine as possible, and hence the pilgrimage which is now recommended to Davos and other resorts where invalids can get the maximum amount of bright sunshine. And not only is this the outcome of practical experience, but Dorenzi has shown by actual experiment that sunshine acts beneficially in cases of tuberculosis in animals. Thus guinea pigs were infected with tuberculosis material, and exposed in glass boxes to the sun for five or six hours daily, others being similarly affected but protected from sunshine. The animals which had received the sunshine died in twenty-four, thirty-nine, fifty-two, and eighty-nine days respectively, whilst those which had not been sunned succumbed in from twenty-nine, twenty-five, twenty-six, and forty-one days. Or, in other words, Dorenzi found that insulation had very materially increased the infected animal's power of coping with tuberculosis. The part which sunshine plays, or may be able to play, in disease is very obscure, but it would appear at least justifiable to assume that it is an agent which further investigation may show we cannot afford to disregard, contributing as it may to the production of a healthy tone in the system, and thereby materially assisting the body to defy the insidious attacks made upon it from without. The so-called open-air treatment of consumption which has made such giant strides in the last few years is an example of how, by contributing to the general health of an individual, the powers for resisting a localized disease may be so increased that the latter can, in many cases, be thrown off altogether. In no country has more progress been made in the establishment of institutions for the cure of consumption on these lines than in Germany. At the end of the year 1899, there were 49 such institutions in Germany, with 4,000 beds. In a little more than 12 months later, there were no less than 60 such, with accommodation for altogether 5,000 patients. It is of interest to note that amongst the earliest of these institutions to be founded was that erected and endowed by the famous Badenschen Anilin and Soda Fabric Company for the exclusive benefit of those of their workpeople who were suffering from tuberculosis disease. We have learnt that sunshine is endowed with distinctly lethal action as regards particular bacteria, that it can modify the subtle properties of toxic solutions, and we are asked to believe that it may exercise an important influence on the animal system in determining the power of the latter to deal with the agents of disease. But as we have seen, the mechanism of it all is shrouded in mystery and we are at a loss to divine how it works. Might not some fresh light be thrown upon this problem if we could ascertain the effect of sunshine on some of these natural fluids of the body, which recent brilliant research has shown to be endowed with such wonderful protective or immunizing properties? So far as I am aware, the action of sunshine on these antitoxins or protective fluids has not yet been investigated. Can sunshine interfere with the therapeutic effect of diphtheria serum, for example? If simple insulation can so profoundly modify the character of toxic fluids, it is not unreasonable to anticipate some action on these antitoxins, and their study in this connection would appear to offer an important step in the direction of unraveling the mystery attending the action of light on life. End of chapter 3